This is Offspin. Inside this actively managed universe, there are large cap funds, mid cap, small cap funds. There are many categories: dividend yield, contra, value, focused. So many of them are there. Typically, half of those funds in each category, within the large cap, half the funds, within the small cap, half the funds, within the and so on. Within each category, typically only half the funds are able to consistently beat the benchmark. Wow! So, the problem here is. They're looking and at how do we identify them? You can look at past data and identify which has done things in the past, which automatically means you can't identify a future winner. Exactly, it's not possible, and these winners will keep changing. So the consistent performers in one time window, if I shift the time window a little bit, it will be a different mix exactly. and different mix and so on. So you are paying high fees. You're paying almost two percent fee. You expect outperformance. That's why you're paying the fee. You want your actively managed fund to beat your index, beat the benchmark, or at least the benchmark that they suggest. Forget uh, your favored benchmark. And typically, half of them are not able to do it at any given point in time. Which means that buying actively managed funds don't make sense anymore. This is that offspin original you've all been waiting for. It's time. For let's get rich with Patu. Hi, Patu. When I say the word mutual fund, what comes to mind? The first thought, the first emotion. Mutual funds are subject to ignorance risks and then market risks. <laughs> I've heard that. In fact, I used to voice a lot of ads uh, as I've progressed in my career, and this was the line that gave us the most stress. Uh, and a bit of a story, right? When mutual funds try to advertise, it's usually at, from Jan to March because they want a lot of people to start investing at that time, and we get a lot of ads. And in all these ads, where the main part is a time constraint, right? We only allowed say ten seconds or fifteen seconds, or some ads go to thirty seconds. The volume of content is so much, and then at the end, end they want us to add this in our voice, so it was usually sped up, or it was it was the most painful part. Mutual fund investments are subject to market risks, etc., etc. I remember that. I sometimes have dreams about that. But don't you also think this is possibly one of the most powerful tools? the normal everyday man has to generate wealth in the times we live in it depends that's why i said mutual funds are subject to ignorance risks and market risks so if if people are ignorant about the risks in mutual funds and their features then uh, it is just like any other product but i think people should know whether their whether a mutual fund is actually suitable for them absolutely and then understand risks that's How I see. As you may have guessed, we are starting a deep dive, right? Now that we've spent so many episodes, probably something like twenty-five. This is the twenty-sixth we are recording, but two on the process, right? And I'm very glad we went that way because even Vikram on the last episode said everybody starts the wrong way, starting at the top of the pyramid. Which mutual fund should I invest in? Thankfully, I think we've built the foundation very well and smartly. And now it's a deep dive. We don't know how long this deep dive will take, but this deep dive is all about mutual funds. But to where do we start to break this down? Where do we start this discussion? Because there's so much to talk about. 
um <laughs> it's a tough thing but uh, i think we a good starting point is to um say that the question which sip should i invest in is wrong that's probably a, a good starting point because i'm amazed at the number of people who ask this question and uh, their uh, background there, there are people working in you know uh, sophisticated finance environments who have asked me this question which mm. sip should i invest in so i think this is a great compliment to all the marketers and the people in the advertising firms absolutely you know it's like the xerox machine any kind of photocopying associated with xerox so now anything to do with mutual funds you think of sip so it's a great credit but anyway i, I digress as normal <laughs> it, is, it definitely continue. is it definitely yeah. is a credit i mean if i'm a product uh, manufacturer i would be delighted uh, at the question but it is a wrong question for an investor to ask on so many levels uh, the first thing is an sip is just automated investing we have talked mm -hmm. about this before so it's just you set up a mandate where uh, units uh, un money is deducted uh, on a certain date or uh, every month typically and you get certain units according to the nav of the mutual fund so it's an automated way of buying mutual fund units that's all sip is not a financial product sip is not a financial instrument you can't invest in an sip you can start an sip in almost every mutual fund but whether it's necessary or not is another matter but sip is not a financial uh, product so that's probably a first misnomer which we should dispel i think we've done that uh, plenty of times but they'll it'll never be enough we'll keep repeating that you know an sip as also patu says cannot uh, bring discipline into your life discipline comes from yourself um, we've sip is purely a, a tool that you may consider uh, but anyway once we pass that patu how does one start to break down this entire world of mutual funds how do i know for example which mutual fund to select so uh, there are two things one is we can only select select products only if we are clear about what we want mm -hmm. and i've seen so many personal finance forums they will say uh, help me select mutual funds for the next 3 years or or they'll say help me select equity mutual funds for the next 3 years then we will say you can't uh, uh, use equity mutual funds for 3 years because that too risky then they'll say 5 years then we'll say 5 years is still short enough then they'll say 7 years how can a need suddenly change from 2 to 5 to 7 so it just means that you want to invest but you don't have clarity on why you are investing what exactly. what you are investing for so that is the first thing that we should address and that is the reason why we have not talked about products for so long in the show we have been talking about understanding ourselves look within that's uh, that's what the great philosophers say and uh, probably even some religions say that uh, all the answers are within so we have to be very clear about why we are investing when we need the money so we need a clear goal and then we should uh, understand when we need the money because the kind of products you will you will need to use for a goal that is 5 years away can be very different from a product that uh, for a goal that is 10 years away 15 years away and so on so that clarity is something that has to be uh, you know present in the investors mind and they should take a few days without distractions and we've talked about this several times in the show write this down somewhere or log it somewhere so that they can come back to it every time because every time the market moves up or down and you get a uh, you know set of bad returns or good returns you kind of deviate from your strategy so you have to come back to this 
kind of manifesto okay this is the reason why i'm investing i have to no not do anything to uh, upset the apple cart so that is the first thing and we have talked enough about this and i think uh, viewers and listeners can go back to previous episodes to understand how to set goals define goals and so on but once you have done that so assuming that you have now done that and let's say you want to uh, you have decided a mutual fund is necessary for your need a mutual fund need not be necessary for oh. your need that's very important to understand yeah. so typically i would say that given the kind of uh, taxation rules that are there and we will talk about taxation rules in detail probably in another episode um i think it's very uh, important to keep things simple so for the emergency fund for example um unless you or until you become a, re- a reasonable uh, expert in mutual funds may maybe a few years of investing i would say just stick to fds bank fds and rds for emergency fund for annual expenses for uh, needs that are 3 years away 5 years away fds and rds will do because you don't need to spend too much time about which is the best product for a short term goal we talked about this a short term goal is just a short term goal after 5 years it's no longer part of your life you have spent it it's mm. done you don't need to spend too much time about it right you need to focus on your long term goals so for a start i would say uh, until you become comfortable with the mutual fund space and it will take years to become really comfortable because newer and newer risks keep coming up and then we learn uh, so until then fds and rds for short term needs emergency fund is more than enough of course for the reasonably well versed a liquid fund can also work we can probably talk about debt funds and liquid funds in detail later why do you put the liquid fund in this category of fds and rds so that's a very um uh, long drawn answer the, the the short answer to that is the volatility of a liquid fund is reasonably low so you know that you're going to get a return that is a little bit higher than uh, an nsb account maybe comparable to an fd or a little bit less than an fd that's the kind of return before tax after tax of course they are all going to be taxed the same liquid funds are taxed just like fds these days so there's not much difference there so and it's uh, you you won't get too much of nav fluctuation so it's okay you know that your uh, the range bo- the returns are going to be range bound so you're reasonably comfortable I, many people suggest liquid funds as the first investment that uh, investor should make but it really makes no difference uh, to me it's just uh, you can stick to your goals and for your goals short term goals fds and rds are enough right so once you have done that once you uh, decided look uh, i have annual expenses short term needs long term needs and you say short short term needs first i'm going to stick with fds and rds because that's the simplest thing then let's assume that you want to invest for something 10 years away 15 years away here yes mutual funds make a difference because fds and rds will not be tax efficient the primary reason is that you have to pay tax on an fd and rd every year whether you are mm. going to redeem or not typically the maximum duration for an fd and rd is 10 years so during those 10 years whether you pull out the money uh, mid term or not you're going to pay tax because the bank is going to deduct tds and they they're going to report it to the income tax department so you're going to get it in your itr once you get it in your itr 
you better pay the tax corresponding to the remaining amount. Otherwise, there'll be a notice saying, why have you not paid tax? And it's a headache. So may I ask you how this taxation works on an FD? For example, I know my parents have lots of FDs, right? And some are five years, some are 10 years, etc, etc. Um, so on any particular year, how is it taxed? At what percentage? And how do the slabs work? And so then if an FD is advertised as a 7.5%, as recently was, what is the uh, net uh, that I'm gaining. So it's uh, the TDS is 10%. The flat rate is 10%. And um, that 10% has got a limit, if I'm not wrong. Um, 5,000, there's a minimum limit. Of, I forget those limits, I probably. Sure. And wh what was your next question? So, so if you have a 7% FD, so you should be 7% 7, 7 into 1 minus your tax rate. Hmm. That is your effective return one minus your slab rate. So that's your typical effective return. And how is it calculated? It, it, that's 10% uh, is calculated on the chunk of money that we put in at day zero or how is it or on the interest, the, on, on the, the interest. interest. Got it. Yeah. Fair so, enough. So, so that's going to, so uh, the, the TDS is going to happen uh, every year and uh, in a, de in a debt mutual fund or in any other mutual fund, you don't pay tax unless you redeem. So for a long-term goal, this has got benefits, right? But of course, the benefits comes with responsibilities because you have to understand how the product works because there are complex products in the mutual fund space. So the very first beginning is, I would say, uh, equity funds and non-equity funds. This is the nice primary classification. Right. So an equity fund as defined by the taxman is any fund which holds Indian equity okay. uh, equal to 65% or more is a equity fund as per the tax man. Are there any equity funds with 100% in Indian in Yeah, Indian let's equity? come to that. I'll come to okay, that. So, sure. the, let's quickly, no, no issues. Now, let's quickly talk about the how is the 65% defined. Yeah. The taxman says the 65% is the annual average of daily portfolio holdings. The annual average of daily portfolio holdings, okay. Does that make sense? You have, you take the, uh, every day you find out your equity value uh, allocation, you take the average and that has to be 65% or more for a fund to be classified as a equity fund. Okay. That is the legal definition. Of course, the AMCs kind of, uh, they give you a slightly modified definition. They will say it is the annual average of the monthly averages. Okay. That's so makes divide sense. by 12 then. Yeah. So that that's, I mean, every month they produce a fact sheet sure. and that will give you the allocation. You take the average of that and this annual is the financial year. Right. The 12 financial year months. So that's an equity fund. So any fund that does not hold this much equity, Indian equity, is not a uh, equity fund. This is the primary classification we should understand. Equity in this case is defined as uh, direct stocks, direct Indian stocks or ETFs. Indian okay. ETFs, primarily holding Indian equity. That's the classification. Now. Um, so, you now have an equity and a non-equity fund. 
within this equity universe within this 65 percent and above equity universe you can have different types of funds exactly there are equity funds which are predominantly equity that is at any point in time they will always hold 90 95 percent equity right and those are your large cap fund mid cap fund small cap fund elss fund and so on elss funds are slightly um, different they only need to hold 80 percent equity the elss fund rules are defined by the finance ministry sebi takes care of all the other rules other mutual funds sebi takes care so oh, so interesting do we know why that is because they're the ones <laughs> well they their finance ministry calls the shots for sebi also but uh because the tax rule because it's an e uh, tax saving instrument under yeah. atc the finance ministry decides the asset allocation and other rules for uh, elss funds but typically almost all ELSS funds hold uh, a good um, good amount of equity 90 95% equity so all these large cap mid cap flexi cap multi cap all of them are predominantly equity funds they at any point most of the portfolio is fully stocks then you have the hybrid funds now there are hybrid funds like an aggressive hybrid fund which is mandated to hold 65% equity maximum uh minimum minimum 65 minimum 65 so that it's always taxed as an equity fund right we will come to the tax rates later but that's a classification of an equity fund is a 65 percent hold or more so before we continue on hybrid fund but to this one question stuck in my head <clears throat> you mentioned they predominantly have indian stocks so it will be 90 95 percent why is it not 100 percent um you it's not practical for a mutual fund to hold 100 percent equity because uh, anytime there is a large influx into the fund large buying or large selling it will take some days to convert that cash into stocks or stocks into cash got it because you uh, you, yeah, yeah. you have a current account so whatever money that you put in every month or every day it's first held in that current account and then gradually it is pushed into the market that depends on the market condition it depends on the fund houses uh, you know methodology and so on so it's at least five percent cash that they will have because if suddenly if the markets uh, start tumbling tomorrow yeah. they need money to yeah. so you know. it's not like they're investing in anything apart from stocks it's just that they're keeping some in cash to manage cash flow yeah yes they, they may buy short-term fds also but just to give mm. some extra returns and so on but anything that is uh, quickly redeemable that's sure. that's their definition so uh, you hybrid sorry yeah so so we are now in within this hybrid space you have this aggressive hybrid uh, category and if i uh, look at the sebi table it says 65 to 80% equity allocation for the aggressive hybrid and the rest in bonds so this bonds includes the cash component that every fund will got it and uh, there are also arbitrage kind of funds there is funds which invest in arbitrage opportunities we will talk about maybe that's another podcast in itself because that's going to take a lot of explaining to do that also is taxed like a equity fund because it holds minimum 65 percent in arbitrage opportunities so these are funds that buy and sell in different markets one in the cash market and then the derivative market so that they can uh, you know benefit from the price difference between these two markets so okay. their profit will just be the price difference so uh, then there's another type of equity fund in the hybrid space called equity savings funds 
Okay. These are uh, <coughs> funds with uh, 65% equity, 10% debt, and they can hold some arbitrage uh, opportunities. So these are the equity oriented funds within the hybrid space. And then there are other funds which are, uh, you know, uh, non-equity funds. So that's the broad classification. I would say first look for the equity holding. If you want to understand the fund space, if it is 65% or more, it is taxed as an equity fund. Its risk also will be like that of an equity fund. So whether your uh, fund is a large cap holding 80, 90% large cap stocks, or whether it is an aggressive hybrid fund holding 65% of uh, you know stocks, the risk is more or less the same. It will be mildly less for the aggressive hybrid fund, but typically it's the same. So for an investor, although I have uh, made it sound like uh, it's uh, reasonable to look at it from a taxation point of view, that's the kind of feeling that many people may get. I'm trying to use that as a handle to point out that we should classify in terms of risk. Hmm. So anything holding 65% and above is an equity fund in terms of risk. It is as as good as holding a stock in your, a single stock in your yep. portfolio. It's imagine. more or less the same. Of course, there'll be small differences, but you get the idea. Are those the stocks which have that meter going all the way to the right where it says risk is very high? Very high. Of course, uh, that risk has been... Um, SEBI has broken things that need not be fixed and they have just destroyed it. Earlier, we used to have a very nice signal kind of thing, you know, green, okay. amber, red. You know, red means very high risk, amber yeah. means medium risk, green means low risk. We had a very nice policy. They did not like the signal. They used to have brown, yellow and something else, uh, some other blue. Yeah, blue, yeah. blue yellow and uh, brown. That's the kind of SEBI signal that they had. Then they changed it to all this kind of multiple dials, too many knobs. It now looks like that imitation game uh, machine, right? That Enigma uh, decoder machine. Yeah. So they have kind of made a mess of it. So and I would, are they the ones who decide where that arrow should be on that meter, or is it? See, the the problem. Yeah, the SEBI sets the rules and the funds follow it. The problem today is today a Nifty fund will also be very high risk. Exactly. An IT, uh, an IT fund, a fund holding IT stocks alone or predominantly IT stocks also will be classified as very high risk. But that's not true. If you look at the volatility, a sectoral fund will have more seasonable uh, volatility and results. It will be much more riskier than a nifty fund. Yeah. So that kind of uh, nuances are lost because of too much tinkering with the SEBI riskometer, unfortunately. But I think it's something that, uh, I mean, an evolved investor will come back and look at it and say, okay, this is wrong. That's what it's yeah. for, I would say. Right. So, um, we were at looking at mutual funds in terms of risk. Yeah. So, so this 65% is your handle, first handle to look at. Sure. Now, do I want, the question I should ask is, do I want to invest in a fund which holds minimum 65% equity or not? Mm -hmm. And when do I do it? I would recommend if your goal is 10 years or more, 12 years, 15 years, preferably more than 10 years, I would say, yes, you can hold funds which invest in 65% equity minimum or more. So you can invest in aggressive hybrid funds, you can invest large cap, mid cap, small cap, flexi cap, multi cap, or large mid cap, all those kind of funds will be suitable for your long term goals. Right. And um, 
the other two funds that I talked about, the arbitrage funds and the equity savings funds, they are also tax-like equity, but their risk is slightly lower than that of a full-fledged equity fund. Of course, the arbitrage fund is significantly lower than a full-fledged equity funds because it does not hold stocks directly. Whatever stocks it's hold, it's offset by a corresponding holding in the derivatives market. So you only get the pricing difference as your profit. So the risk also is cancelled off. So uh, an arbitrage fund is basically like an equity, uh, like a debt fund, excuse me, like a, exactly, yeah. uh, a debt fund, which but it's taxed like an equity fund. So yeah. you don't need an arbitrage fund for your long-term goals. You don't need your equity savings funds for your long-term goals. Of course, you can use it for a long-term goal, but I would say it's not necessary. It's too much of work to understand. Uh, and equity savings is a misnomer. I mean, you can't save in an equity fund, right? You can't save in any debt, any mutual fund for that matter. Because even in a debt fund, there's no savings. You're putting it into the market. Whatever market value is, you're going to get it. So I would say that is the first classification. And so now you know what funds you can choose for your long-term goals. For your goals in between 5 years and 10 years, those are your medium-term goals. I would suggest that you go easy on them. Don't jump in and buy mutual funds immediately for those goals. Get used to investing in long-term equity funds, whichever I just talked about. And once you are comfortable with that, you can probably explore maybe things like debt funds like which which is called a, there's something called a conservative hybrid fund which can hold about 25% equity and so on but this is the broad logic we can now talk sure. about different funds but i would say this is does this make so sense now, to you i'm not sure if i absolutely i mean it i i love how you first started off by just saying two things it's like binary equity and non equity and then uh, figure out what your goals are and what your goal horizon is and only then start categorizing. But my next question about figuring out if your more than 10-year goal exists, it it does not depend on your current age, right? Because you could be a retiree at 60 who also has a 15-year goal that can put some money into equity, right? The equation for retirees change considerably. I, I think that depends on how much money they have. So they, for them, it's a... Uh, much more nuanced calculation that requires sure. uh, appreciating their circumstances. But I'm talking about a typical young earner, maybe even somebody in their 30s, 40s, who have got a 15-year goal to, you know, if somebody who's 40 today is still going, has got 15 years left for retirement. So for them, also equity mutual funds are fine, more than fine. So that's what sure. Now let's dive into this entire world of equity funds only, Pato, right? Anything which has 65% or above in Indian stocks. It's a whole different universe. How does one categorize this universe? If I'm 25 years old, my first investment, is it all right if it's in the large cap? Should I go for small cap? You've recently posted videos on small cap, etc, etc. Uh, so how does one start to look at this? Uh, I clearly have a 15 plus year goal. Perhaps it's for my retirement, right? Um, I've taken care of my my fixed income investments, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, how do I look at equity mutual funds? So, uh, again, here, I would classify the equity universe as uh, and in this equity universe, I'm including aggressive hybrid funds, because they okay. are also essentially equity funds, because they are at all times, they're mandated to hold 65% equity. Sure. So within this equity universe, I will classify that universe into three. One is actively managed funds. 
which means that a fund manager, this is a human or a team of humans are actively involved in deciding which stocks to buy and sell. And they also decide the asset allocation, how much sure. equity to hold. Because within that 65% to 100, there is some flexibility on how much you can hold. Actively managed funds, then there are the pure, uh, I would say, normal index funds. Let's call it that. Okay. Normal index funds are the Sensex index funds, Nifty index funds or ETFs for that Which matter. also have a human or is it... Um, they it, always have a name to them, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the SEBI requires, requires that, but most of it, I would say, today is automated and uh, you can okay. track automatically, right? It's just a matter of tracking because the index curator is going to give you the basket of stocks and the weights of the stocks. So you just have to track. It can be done by a machine today most, sure. most easily. And, but of course, it will be verified and double-checked by a team of people and so on. That's a different. So, so actively managed and we call this passively managed? Is that the Passively right managed. This in includes index funds and ETFs. But in this passively managed, I'm talking about the normal indices or what I will call as the market capitalization weighted indices like uh, Nifty, Sensex. Uh, mid, nifty uh, nifty mid cap 150 nifty small cap 250 and so on exactly but the immediate question popping up is then what are the other passively then managed then there's types? the other uh, which is called which i will which are called the factor indices or the smart beta indices wow, so this never heard of them this is a combination of active management and passive management so here you have a set of rules for choosing stocks uh, in addition to the market capitalization. So in a Nifty or a Sensex, the market capitalization is the primary, you know, deciding factor. There are, of course, sure. other things about liquidity and so on. But the market cap is the primary factor. But in a factor-based index, you have a factor like low volatility, the last 12 months volatility in prices, uh, the last 12 months momentum, how much it has moved up, last six months momentum. Then there's alpha, which is the how much outperformance with respect to a risk-free return and so on. Then you have factors like quality, quality of a stock, uh, value of a stock, the, whether it's undervalued, overvalued, etc. So these are the um, algorithmic factors that are used, that are combined with the market cap to create um, a portfolio, which is called a factor uh, portfolio. So here, the idea here is it will be a slightly more expensive to buy these funds than a Nifty or a Sensex fund. But it will be cheaper than a human-managed, actively-managed fund. Ah. And the idea is to beat the normal index fund. That's the goal, of course. I mean, mm -hmm. what happens in reality is a different matter. But that's the goal. So you have three. Can you name some? I haven't even heard of this. So this is, uh, you have uh, Nifty Mid-Cap Quality 50 Index. Okay. Uh, then you have BSC Low Volatility 30 index or 50 index, I forgot. Okay. The nifty 100 low volatility 30. So low volatility, alpha, many, many factors. The word factor is never in the name. Factor will not be in the name. The factor is the quality, alpha, yeah. momentum, low volatility, and so enhanced value, etc. Et so, so now you have those three categories. One yeah. is the active, the passive, and the factor. Yeah. The factor index is also passively managed because the index curator is going to give you the formula and they i mean they will use the formula and they'll give you the basket of stocks according to that formula and you just need to track them but because of that formula they will charge more uh, a lot more and uh, i think I've, i'm not sure if i mentioned to you i once asked a company 
how much would it cost to send me data? So in an Excel file or a CSV file, dates and values. They said it's 15 lakhs. <laughs> Just that. It's 15 lakhs. So that's the kind of money the AMCs are shelling out to the BSE, NSE and so on to, you know, to work on, per fund. That's incredible. This is opening up a whole new line of questioning for me, you know, about how mutual funds eventually make money, um, etc, etc. But no, I how, how we... index curators make money. That is more interesting. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so these are the so three factors. Before we categories. move on, you're saying an HDFC is paying 15 lakh to? To NSE or BSE for every in index, getting the data. And the, the getting the data and the portfolio. The portfolio may cost separately. Wow. It's a because lot of money. I had a very small question right at the end. What if I wanted to start a mutual fund? But we'll get to that. That's probably how we'll end this episode. Yeah. So, so there are three within the equity universe now. There are three categories. Actively yes. managed, passively managed, factor indices. It has been shown and I have shown this several times that typically if I take inside this actively managed uh, universe, there are large cap funds, mid cap, small cap and so on. There are many categories, dividend yield, contra, value, focused, so many of them are there. Typically, half of those funds in each category, within the large cap, half the funds, within the small cap, half the funds, within the and so on. Within each category, typically only half the funds are able to consistently beat the benchmark. Wow. So the problem here is, we are looking and at how do we identify them? You can look at past data and identify which has done things in the past. Hmm. So which automatically means you can't identify a future winner. Exactly. It's not possible. And these winners will keep changing. So the consistent performers in one time window, if I shift the time window a little bit, it will be a different mix. Exactly. And different mix and so on. So you are paying high fees. You're paying almost 2% fee. You expect outperformance. That's why you're paying the fee. You want your actively managed fund to beat your index. The beat the benchmark or at least the benchmark that they suggest. Forget uh, your favored benchmark. And typically half of them are not able to do it. At any given point in time. Which means that buying actively managed funds don't make sense anymore. On that on that statement, which is, you know, perhaps going to sh send shockwaves, but to, is it a good time to kind of tease the next episode and take a break? Okay. I, I think it's pretty loaded line. Uh, buying actively managed funds perhaps does not make any more sense. And that opens up so many questions, Patu, right? Do fund managers actually add any value? Uh, because, you know, we learn so much about them and, and people invest based on names. I've, I've heard of that happening. How do mutual funds make money off us? Um, and then, of course, how do we select, now that we have this kind of information, but to our individual mutual funds for our, our journey? All of that on the next episode, Patu. Thank you so much. Uh, and we'll see you on the next week of Let's Get Rich with Patu. Bye-bye. You just heard Let's Get Rich with Patu, an Offspin original. Isn't it the coolest show you've heard in the Indian podcasting space? And even if it isn't, what's the point of getting rich alone, right? Share this show with those you care about and 
perhaps even with those you don't care about. But make sure you share this show with only those who you don't mind being richer than you. The music on this show was created by Pattu's biggest fan, Rajesh Ravi, and everyone on the Offspin team had some part or the other to play on the show. Let me name them quickly: Harshdeep Nisrani, Krishank Das, Sandeep Banerjee, Arif Chagla, Anand Krishnan, Rajesh Ravi, and Heer Khan. Heer, by the way, is also to be blamed for giving Pattu his gangster look, which is how he looks on a daily basis. Um, and me, Sidan, your host. Let's get rich is available on all audio platforms wherever you consume your podcasts. So spread the word, and we'll see you next week. You know we do this show only to help you guys, right? But if you're listening and you're that one person who has perhaps lost money and are holding it against Patu or me for making you lose that money, then not only are you a mean person, but you also need to listen to this legal disclaimer. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute any financial advice. Views expressed are not official positions of financial institutions or Patu or mine for that matter. Although we strongly believe in them, listen to this disclaimer even more carefully. We recommend consulting a qualified professional before making decisions. We disclaim liability for inaccuracies or losses from using this information in our show. By listening, you agree that the host, guests, and producers are not only awesome people, but they are not responsible for your financial decisions or outcomes. This is Offspin. Off